Hello and welcome to the Theology Gaming Podcast. My name is Zachary Oliver, the owner and proprietor of the Theology Gaming blog and various subsidiaries. As usual, we are still looking for a sponsor, so if you have any suggestions, like yourself, you can email me at zach at theologygaming.com. This week we're doing a part of our long, 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 long interview series, which will probably never end. <laughs> I don't know why I even call it a series at this point. Our guest today is someone who is starting a new kind of pop cultural ministry. Would that be right? That's fairly similar. I would say more specified than that be subcultural, but pop cultural works as well. <laughs> yeah, close enough. Uh, my guest today, who just spoke, <laughs> is Eric Anderson, who is the founder, director, miscellaneous of Nerd Chapel, which is a website, project, etc., YouTube series devoted to seeing the theological connections between subcultural <laughs> properties and the Bible. So, welcome, Mr. Anderson, to the program. Thank you. Thank you for asking me to be part of this. All right. Now, tell us a little about yourself. People would like to get to know their ministry partners. Sure. Yeah. I'm 31. I've traveled around the world a little bit, been to China and Europe and the Middle East. One of my first memories of nerdy things is just board games and cartoons. <laughs> and so I remember back when I was in middle school, pogs were pretty popular in my next door neighbor had a bunch of pogs so we started using the pogs to make up different versions of risk <laughs> different thematic versions of risk uh which was which was fun and enjoyable but now looking back i'm like wow that was just weird but <laughs> hey was, i had pogs too i i just didn't use them to play risk right yeah it was it was fun and i'm a big fan of stargate of doctor who star wars and I've got a bachelor's degree from Taylor University's Fort Wayne campus, which is now closed down, unfortunately, in biblical studies and Christian education. So I spent my college years learning the Bible and how to study it and how to teach it. Now I'm dealing with all of the debt that comes from a private school. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But that's, that's the way we are doing life right now in America, or better or ill. What exactly did you learn, and why did you want to study this specifically? I had, growing up in the church, and I was kind of a loner in school, but I was very involved with an organization called First Priority of America, which establishes localized networks of pastors and churches and business people to enable the youth in their cities to start their own Christian clubs or their own Bible clubs at their schools. So that they can be totally student-led, but they've got the support of pastors and business people. Oh, okay. Um, uh, what denomination is this? Is this like a non-denominational organization? Multi-denomination. Okay. And I was attending a Wesleyan church, and I'm back at that church, have been since I got back from college. And just being in that, involved in that, I just felt like ministry was something I was supposed to be in. Now, at first I thought it was primarily going to be parachurch ministry, which is organizations like First Priority and a Christian ministry in the National Parks and organizations that work with churches but are not themselves churches. And then in college, I got more comfortable with a church atmosphere, and so I've looked for a lot of jobs with churches as well. But first priority and just being a student leader in a Christian club just made me realize, you know, I've got an aptitude and an interest in this, 
and I think God wants me to go in this way. The complicated decision-making process of finding out what God wants you to do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I had kind of a similar epiphany myself doing this theology gaming, so I, I understand. <laughs> yeah. What does Christian education constitute, and why do you want to do it in the way that you are doing it, which is integrating biblical concepts with such properties as X-Men or, let's say, in the future, Doctor Who? Well, Christian education is essentially helping people have a better understanding of what the Bible really says and how it really is applicable in their lives. You know, when I studied Christian education, I thought of Christian education was Sunday school, small groups, Bible studies, that aspect of ministry. The reason I, I, I want to connect it in with such wonderful hobbies, first of all, very few people in the church world really know how to connect with this particular subculture. And unfortunately, there's been some friction between the body of Christ and this subculture in the past. I think uh, a lot with the Dungeons and Dragons debacle in the 70s. Yes. And I'm, even in the 90s, I mean, there's today, there's still people who have those feelings. And so it's, you know, it's a little bit, okay, you know what? Nobody or very few people are doing anything with the subculture. God still cares about them. I'm part of the subculture. I'm trying, you know, my hobbies interconnect with the subculture. So why not try to reach them? You know, if God wants us to reach everyone, then why keep building these walls when we can tear down these walls and build links? I think a similar thing is coming up in our generation where we have people doing all sorts of things in various subsections. We have people making Christian video games. We have people making Christian literature that mm -hmm. fits in the sci-fi fantasy genres. And we have people doing Christian ministries within this, like, game church and nerd chapel and et cetera, et cetera. So we are, we're all came, we've all come to the same conclusion, which is pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. That we all kind of thought of this independently, and then we're all starting to meet each other on the Internet. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's cool about it is the Holy Spirit the way he interacts, what is really fun about him, is he doesn't always tell you what he's doing elsewhere. And he'll take <laughs> two groups of people and he'll make them work together without really asking them if they want to work together. It, <laughs> and it, a great example of this was when I went on a mission trip to Croatia, our team went to my uncle's cottage on the Lake Michigan to prepare for a weekend. And we got up there, and I went to my uncle's dad's house to get some kindling so we could start a fire and roast some hot dogs. And he said, you know, you guys are here today to prepare for this mission trip. You're Wesleyan. I'm Presbyterian, and we follow the Presbyterian Book of Prayer for Missions. And today, while you're preparing to go to Croatia, the Book of Missions has all of us praying for Croatia. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, I guess we're working together whether we want to or not. <laughs> Oh, this is a strange coincidence. Yeah. When did Nerd Chapel suddenly emerge? Did it exist a long time before, or did you just decide to act on it after conceiving of it for a really long time? I definitely conceived of it for a long time before I figured out how to make it work, and before I could really find, you know, for the video aspect, before I got to get to say, okay, I just talked to my tech director at my church and see if he'll help me with it. And he is which is great, although he's leaving our church and going down to a job in Indiana soon, so then I'll have to find another video guy, but that'll work out. I've already got a couple of ideas of people to talk to. It was just a long time. You know, I started another project with a friend 
months ago and I realized, you know, this is something that I want to do more of. So I prayed about it, I thought about it, and finally I started working on some sermon ideas, kept working on those for a bit, and then eventually just said, okay, I need to take the step and take the leap of faith, and went and talked to my technical director, and we just pulled it together. He was like, yeah, sir, let's do it. So definitely panned out well, I think. So did you intentionally make the video series the central component of Nerd Chapel, or is, are all of them supposed to work together? Like the uh, writing arm and the and the video arm and that sort of thing. The video arm was my first thought, although I, I did some blogging on Zanga a few years ago, and one or two of those times I did kind of similar things. When I started the video component, I'm like, you know, it would be a good idea to have a blog just because people communicate in different ways. I can do things on the blog that might not need the same time or the same focus as a video. Yeah, because videos in this day and age, people like them in short quantities. <laughs> like, you know, two to three minutes. Yeah. Yeah, and it's. I appreciate that the videos are as long as they are and exhaustive as they are, but I know a lot of people don't like to watch a video that long with that mm -hmm. amount of concentration, so having an alternative is pretty helpful. Yeah. Plus, another thing that the blog does, it allows me to... If I get questions from a video, it allows me to do something to help deal with some of those questions. Do you like writing? <laughs> um, or is it kind of a secondary thing? It's not either a I like it or a secondary thing right now. It's something that I find that I, I have reasonable skills in writing. Not that they're amazing yet, but they are reasonable. And so it's okay, I have the skill, I should use it. I, I enjoy it a little bit more than that, but that's... Writing is not my main thing, really. Although I guess as someone who likes preaching, I guess it kind of is, because you have to write before you can preach. But you're not a trained pastor, obviously, right? <laughs> and not in the technical sense, I know. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trained in the sense that I was taught to study the Bible and to do some of the educational aspects of ministry. Yeah. The degree, so just, the MDiv or whatever, is the degree is kind of a non-issue, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you've decided to present them in the form of sermons, as per the name Nerd Shuffle, right? Mm -hmm. So why exactly did you want to do it in that way with the uh, the suits? <laughs> First of all, because I, preaching is a skill I have to use, and also because I enjoy preaching. Another aspect is that it provides a tool out there that people can say, okay, you know what, I, I've got 20 or 30 minutes, I want to do something for my faith, you know, here's something I can use, or, you know, my friend's been really struggling with this, this video speaks to that, they need a longer take on it, here it is. So have you preached in other contexts before that kind of led to this? Uh, yeah, I spent two summers serving with an organization called a Christian Ministry in the National Parks, where I was basically organizing worship services at campgrounds in national parks. Huh. Uh, I did that for two summers. One summer was in San Andoan National Park in Virginia, and another summer was in the Smoky Mountains National Park in Tennessee. And there's been a couple of occasions when I've been able to preach at churches, like a Wednesday evening service, and got to fill the pulpit at a small church a little ways north of me a few years ago, right after I got out of college, just for one Sunday. So I've had a little bit of experience preaching outside of this. How exactly do you pick the subjects for your various things? Is it like whatever you're currently reading, or... 
whatever game you're currently playing, or does it just come in the flash of lightning? I'd say it's a mixture of several things, prayer, reading, things that just come out and say, okay, you know what, this is something that needs to be dealt with. Like right now I'm working on one about dealing with rejection. And that one comes from personal experiences. I've gone through a lot of rejection myself. And also just watching, you know, as you watch shows like King of the Nerds and some of our cultural voices within nerdum have very much focused on this aspect of rejection and being rejected on a fairly regular basis. So I'm like, okay, that's something that needs to be dealt with. So if I can find some things from the Bible that can help us deal with that better, then let's get that out there and deal with it better. And not so much like Big Bang Theory or something to that effect. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think that one's been particularly contentious. It's like the perception of a culture versus, you know, how exactly they really act. And that divide kind of turns people off <laughs> like myself. Right. Yeah. So how involved are you in these various things? So you're into comic books and you're into video games. Are you into video games? No. Board Not games. as much as I used to be. I oh, do a lot more with board games. Okay. I have been playing the Marvel Avengers Alliance Facebook game a lot lately. Yeah, I hear a lot of people are playing that. Yeah, I, I, I've been really enjoying it. used to play a lot of FPS, and I still once in a while will play some, some first-person shooters, but not as much as I used to. Board games is more where my passion is now, so I really enjoy Settlers of Catan, Heroescape. I've started getting into Monster Apocalypse, but I don't get to play it often enough to really be great at it. Could you tell me a little bit about Settlers of Catan? Because my board game experience is pretty much limited to whatever was available in <laughs> my childhood. Yeah, so you know more classic games. Yeah, I'm more of the Candyland kind of shoots and ladders Monopoly kind of board okay. games. But the more complex ones kind of just go right over my head. Settlers of Catan is what Monopoly should have been. <laughs> the ideal version. Yes, Settlers of Catan is all about gaining and trading resources to extend your influence, basically. So you start out with two settlements and two roads, and your settlements are all placed on corners of these different hexes that all have different resources. Every time a particular resource is rolled, you, if your settlement or city is near there, you get that resource. And you're trying to use your resources to build more roads, to then build settlements, to then turn those settlements into cities. And the first person to get to 10 points wins. And you do that by trading with each other. The robber, there's a robber that will try to get in your way every time a seven is rolled. And you do that at the beginning of your turn, every turn. The robber will stay put at a particular location, or you'll move him, and then you get a resource from the person you moved him to near, but then he cannot gain that resource anytime it's rolled until the robber's moved away from it. So, and you're also trying to, you know, say, okay, well, I'll give you two wheat for one brick, or trying to trade and bug each other that way. So it doesn't work on money, it more works in the barter system? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yep. Very much a barter system. So that's what makes it a lot different than Monopoly, where you have a common denomination. Yes, exactly. Although everyone needs our resources throughout the game. So to me, it, it although it does have an amount of luck in it, like there's one number that comes up a lot every game you play. 
And it's always a different number every time you play the game. So there's, luck has an influence in it, but there is a bit more strategy. And it's not as long as traditional Monopoly either. Depending on how you play Monopoly. True. <laughs> yeah. If you have a non-traditional Monopoly, then you end up having a game that goes on for four hours. <laughs> and Settlers of Catan does not go on for four hours, I'm guessing. No, normally it'd be up to an hour and a half. Oftentimes an hour. Although sometimes when you have larger games, it'd go for like two hours or more because sometimes it just gets crazy. And it also depends on what you're doing if you have any expansions because those will add different things in as well. So apparently if you have the Traders and Barbarians expansion, which I have but I have not been able to play with yet, the, the Traders and Barbarians expansion is basically a... My buddy calls it a box of house rules. And it gives you a whole bunch of options that you can choose to use or not use. And there's one scenario in there that apparently can take like well over three hours the first time you play it. But, yeah, I have yet to play that scenario, so. <laughs> if not for time constraints. Most of my friends that I've gamed with lately have moved on to other, just have other things going on in life right now. And so we don't get to game as much as we used to. That, that is kind of the problem with board games. You actually need other people in the room. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. That's yeah. why I always played video games, see. So what got you into board games? You know, I, I started to kind of get into them in high school. Uh, obviously, I had played Risk a lot, which is, you know, the one strategy game that everyone plays at least once. Yeah. There's a couple steps of it. One, in college, I started getting exposed to other strategy games. And in particular, what someone would call and and this is not a title i would have made myself but they call ameritrash so <laughs> games that use a lot of dice and like it could include the ridiculous you know build your own miniatures and have 20 dice you need to roll every single turn or it could include like access and allies where you've got a board game and you've got to roll one dice for each unit in that battle. So you're rolling five dice at once, and then you roll another five dice. And So I got more involved in the board games aspect of Ameritrash during college. And then a few years later, I went to Europe and spent a few months in Slovakia at a train, training school with Youth with a Mission. And over there, I met some other gamers who were more involved in the Euro side of things. So, And I'd already started playing Settlers of Catan before that, but there was really the only Euro game I really understood that well. Because uh, Settlers of Catan is from Germany, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. Got over there and started to play Carcassonne, and I played Dominion for the first time, and I played the Munskin, the original Munskin game once before that, but then got there and got to try the Munskin board game, or Munskin Quest, and found I really loved that. And I got introduced to cooperative board games for the first time when I was over there including Pandemic and Space Alert. So it, for me, it's two aspects I have. You know, I got to explore it in college. Then I went away to another culture and got to explore it there and got a totally different viewpoint. Because Euro games tend to be shorter and they keep everyone in the game for the whole game instead of trying to just eliminate someone. Those two things really got me started in gaming. Huh. So is Europe a little different? Is the European church a little different in dealing with nerd culture or is it similar to ours <laughs> i think from what i saw it seems to be similar and, and there's there's a big disconnect particularly in the area of czech republic and slovakia although it's better in slovakia now than it used to be and maybe this is more a 
Republic than Slovakia, but in the Czech Republic, there's a big disconnect from the older and younger, the sense that church is something for older people, and we younger people, we don't do that. <laughs> and so here we are playing D&D and modern board games and stuff, and they're going to church. You know, like I know a couple of my friends at in YWAM, they didn't really have a church to belong to in the Czech Republic. They were from the Czech Republic, and they were Christians, but they didn't really have a church to go to. Oh, wow. Because the churches that, well, a few churches they had around them that they found were mostly older people, and it just, there's just kind of this weird disconnect. And that, I think maybe now that's more toward being solved now than it was when I was there. Although I would say that in Slovakia, YWAM Slovakia has done a couple of things to, to bridge that gap using board games, actually, because board games are such a bigger deal in, in Europe than they are here. Oh, okay. In the Czech Republic, every single town has a board game club. Wow. <laughs> Even in you know Bratislava, which is the capital of Slovakia, every year they have a convention that has 12,000 people for board games. And we have, you know, Gen Con here has 30,000 people. Yeah, the, we're much bigger, though, so... Yeah. Yeah, relative to their size, 12,000 is a lot. <laughs> yes, exactly. And YWAM has a couple of places where they actually have game clubs and game stores as a way of connecting with their community to build the relationships of sharing Christ, which is a great thing, and, and I'm really excited for that to be going on over there. Do you think a similar thing could be done here, or is the market, quote-unquote, <laughs> not large enough to support that kind of ministry? I think it could happen, but you, there needs to be some inroads made. Like, I tried doing it as soon as I got back from Europe that with that particular trip. Mm. And what I found was that because things are more spread out in my area, may have been part of it, but I had a hard time finding people that would come and try it out. And they'd be, uh. might, they, they might be gamers, but they're not going to drive, you know, 20 miles to try this out. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing with the arcades and how they died out in America because... They're just too long of a distance for competition. And I think also, over in Europe, board games are almost kind of a public thing. You know, people like them, and they're not afraid to say that they like them. Whereas in America, board games are something you do behind closed doors, and it's not as public of a thing. Is It's not a public thing? Huh. Well, it, it's it's a group thing, but it's, but we in our mindsets, we don't see it as a public thing. Yeah. We see video gaming as something a lot of people do, and we see board games as something families do when the power goes out or when the mom is tired of everyone watching television. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. I mean, there well, when there's board games and then there's board games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yep. and one is a little less serious than the other. Yeah. And I think it's, video games have kind of risen in popularity to the point where nobody kind of bats an eye when you when you're a video gamer. But I think board game culture is a little bit more uh, underground, so to speak. Exactly. It is. And it's coming more above ground, partly because with board games, you don't have to change your system every four years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd say it's less expensive than video games in the sense that, like, if I want to go out and buy Dominion, well, if I go to Barnes & Noble, there's $50 to get Dominion. Yeah, it's and, still an investment. So Yeah you better have the people required to play it. <laughs> yeah, which is why right now I'm trying to think of more two-player games I can invest into that, Yeah, because I seem to be able to do more with those right now than with group games. I would say trading card games, but I'm sure that's a little too expensive for that kind of project. 
uh, just constructing decks. Well, the whole system is designed against the people who actually play them anyway. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. but board games are pretty much set in the rules, and you have a specific set of things, and that's it, right? Yep. So you buy that, and that's it. And I guess yep. I imagine tabletop RPGs are pretty similar because all you really need is the rule book, whatever the scenario is, and pen and paper, and you're pretty much all set. And maybe yeah. some eight-sided die. Yeah, although I will say, even though I'm not really an RPG game myself, I will say that I see a lot of room for creativity and customization with those. And it's exciting that, to think of, the, of how you can have almost no limitations with that. You know, you can pretty much go anywhere you want to go because you're using your mind to create it. Yeah, in contrast to video games, which don't allow much imagination, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) They allow imagination from the standpoint of the creators, not so much from the standpoint of the players. Yeah, they designed all the art assets and everything, so... (laughs) Yep. There is a board game culture. Yes, definitely. And Uh, this is what you, you want to reach, this board game culture, and comic books so let's move on to comic books tell us a little bit about your interest in comic books my interest in comic books is i love the stories and i love heroes and i one of those people where i haven't really spent a lot of money on comic books i'll just you know when i'm in barge noble i'll grab a graphic novel that is a compilation of a bunch of books put together and i'll go and sit there for an hour and a half reading it and that way i don't have to spend the money but i still get to experience the story and and see the artwork and and start to understand. Yesterday, for the first time, I bought some graphic novels because I found them used in really good condition for a dollar a piece. Two of them were both parts of the same storyline, which is Age of Wonder. So it's the DC universe with Superman and and Batman and them, but more of a steampunk age. That is strange sounding. Yeah, it, it was interesting. I didn't really like what what they ended up doing with the Green Lantern, but it was a very interesting read, and and I'm glad I got it because it's just something that's different that you don't expect. So, uh, are are you on a specific part of the comic books divide? Like, I mean, Marvel or DC or something more obscure? I like both Marvel and DC. I haven't gotten a, into a lot of the more obscure comic producers yet. This hasn't really happened, and I've I've thought about picking up some of the Star Wars comics and reading them because I love Star Wars. I just don't know what one to do first. Oh, like uh, Dark Horse comics. Don't they make the Star Wars ones? I believe so. Yeah, they're a little darker than the normal ones. (laughs) That's for the name, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And there's just, there's so many different comic books and graphic novels out there for Star Wars. I just don't know what one to start with. Yeah, Expanded Uh, Universe Star Wars is a scary place to go. It is, and I've read several of the novels, and I've enjoyed them immensely. But sometimes it's hard to pick what to start with when it comes. To, if you're just getting into the expanded universe for the first time, it's like I don't know where I am, <laughs> and all I see is there's a bunch of walls, and I think this is a maze, and I hope I can find lunch or something in the maze because if I have to get out of this maze to find it, well, I'm out of luck. <laughs> <laughs> I hope Han Solo appears somewhere. It doesn't matter where. Yes, I hope I see Han Solo, and maybe I can ask Boba Fett if I can borrow his jetpack to get out of here. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like elaborate fan fiction, but yes. <laughs> yep. Comic books is is a thing that you buy the graphic novel compilations after, right? 
Yeah, I'll I'll grab the novel compilations after. I just I haven't been able to get on with the starting points for enough of the storylines to really make it wise to grab the individual comics. Yeah, because otherwise you're just hunting online for the start, right? And then you have to move all your way up. Yeah. I did try to keep up with AVX last year with Avengers vs. X-Men. And I did an alright job, but I still missed some things. Fortunately, <laughs> I, earlier this summer when I was at Barnes & Noble, I grabbed the graphic novel and started reading it. So, Comic books are monthly, right? Yes. Yeah, so... And then the subscription fee, that's that's the other issue. Yes. Because yep. when, once they start crossing over between various uh, stories and that sort of thing, it just gets really confusing. Yeah. I think that was more like why I didn't get into it. And I kind of bought like the individual graphic novels. Because what do you think of Watchmen? And have you ever read it? I have not read the graphic novel. Okay. I started watching the movie and found it was just too much for me personally. I'm not a huge fan of gore in any way. I, I appreciate when it's carefully used appropriately, but with things that just throw it at you again and again, I'm not a big fan of it. We live in a fallen world, and I have a feeling that if we had superheroes and people with powers, it might look a little bit more like Watchmen than, it, say, the DC Universe. I think you're right about that. Because <laughs> uh, I'm sure the government would try to get in and control them. I don't think the government would be happy with them operating on their own. And half of them would be murderous psychopaths. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when you think about, you know, sometimes you're like, man, it'd be so cool to be able to to go in and to meet to meet Professor Xavier and uh, hang out with, with Batman. And, and then you think, wait a minute, there's natural disasters and wars and... You know, cities are destroyed on a regular basis in these worlds. Do I really want to live in that? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> so. I think we're good right now. Just fine, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it does. In real life, it seems like we are getting closer and closer to needing them. I mean, within just the last year and a half, we've had two or three instances of national notice where some kid has been kidnapped and the police had to go on forcibly to rescue them. We've had... Two or three major massacres, the Boston and the movie theater in Colorado and the school out east. So it, it seems like the le- if you look at the last year and a half, you're almost like, man, we need superheroes, you know, because it, it's been so ridiculous. But I think also that's just a matter of our communication rising between the Internet and television. And I'm sure there is that... You know, extreme violence is probably more common than we realize, but we just don't hear about it. Because we only get what the media will tell us. <laughs> yes, exactly. And when you when you consider how much goes on in, say, a, a third world nation where the government really doesn't do hardly anything and there's more anarchy than the government ever admits to, or when you consider North Korea and the way they treat their citizens so harshly, you know, there's just a lot that we just don't know about. But on the plus side, there's a lot of good things happening that the gov- that the media would never tell us about either. Yeah, and that's unfortunate. It is. Why did you decide to use comic books specifically in the Nerd Chapel thing? Because you follow the stories, but not so rigorously as to follow the monthly. So why did the comic books become such a part of Nerd Chapel? As of part right of, now, anyway. Part of it is because stories about superheroes connect so well with 
with the Bible and with what we are told, you know, when Superman is told with great power comes great responsibility. Well, look at what Paul told us about spiritual gifts, about, you know, you need to use these for the church, not for yourself. And, you, you know, you could connect that with the story of the two from, I think it's one of the kings. You know, when Jerusalem is surrounded by an enemy army and the two outcasts who have some sort of skin disease go out. They say, well, if we stay here, we're going to die from starvation. If we go to the enemy, they might just be kind of nice to us. So let's go to their camp. Uh, and then they go to the enemy camp and God has scared them off and they've all run away. And here they are with all of this food and gold and luxuries that have been left behind. And they start to enjoy it for themselves and then realize, wait, we have this responsibility. We need to go tell the city about this so that they can come out and get the food and and find this hope as well. And so there's just there's a lot of crossover in superhero stories. What they say about a hero and what the Bible says about a hero often have this great inconnect. And there's a lot richer of an experience with with comic books and faith than people will actually admit to. You know, in the DC world, people put faith in Superman and he does certain things. Now, he's not God, but he uses his power to help people. And, you know, the Bible says, hey, there's this loving God who is going to help you. Maybe not always in the way you want him to help you. But he is there and he does want to walk with you through all of this ridiculous difficulty that life throws at you. We've got these fictional stories that have almost a mythic core to them that speak to the human condition. And then we have the word of God that is inspired by our creator that speaks to our condition. And you put the two together and just automatically helps you to consider different possibilities. And it makes you think. And it, it definitely, for the Nerdgate culture, is definitely an easier bridge to cross than trying to build a bridge with, okay, here's the Bible, and let's let's just look at, talk about this thing that happened 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, that you're not really sure what to think about, and was written for, originally to a different culture that you're not a part of. You know, because Matthew wrote his gospel to the Jews. So if you don't understand the way a first century Jew thought, there are some things that are kind of confusing when you read the book of Matthew. And in the same way, if somebody doesn't understand that, you need some kind of a cultural bridge to get mm -hmm. them to listen to you on the other end. Yes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And since comic books are kind of the low culture, pop culture thing of our current generation here, you know, with mm -hmm. the recent explosion of superhero movies, it seems like... This is as good a time as any to do it. <laughs> exactly. Yep. People are getting into comic books that were not into comic books before because they loved the movie so much, which is kind of it for me. You know, growing up, I didn't really have a lot of opportunity with comic books, although I'm sure if I had asked for it, my parents would have looked into that with me if they had the money. But I just didn't get into them as much. But that, but I loved stories about superheroes, and you know, growing up, I loved watching the '90s X-Men cartoon and the. 90s spider-man cartoon that were both really great and, and batman the animated series yes okay. yep <laughs> batman and superman and then part of the justice league series came across when i was in college so i didn't really get to check that out until after college but that's what i can watch almost any time very happily is justice league and justice league unlimited and avengers earth mightiest heroes that was a really good show i said they canceled that to do a different version of the avengers 
Which Avengers? The Avengers with cable or without cable? Without cable. Okay, that gets confusing after a while. <laughs> See, my comic yeah. book knowledge is all over the place. I only know what I know from Marvel versus Capcom. Ah, <laughs> uh, and that's well, about the limitations of my experience. Yeah, and and Cable really interacts more with the X Men than with the Avengers. Yeah, it's the. Does he have an Edmantium skeleton or anything like that? Or no, I think I haven't read a lot of the original stories with Cable. He is a time traveler. My buddy Nate could probably tell you a lot more than I could about Cable. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Bishop, who's another time traveler that can take energy that's sent at him and redirect it, or, or he takes it in and then can use it to send out energy blasts, I think. Okay, because that got confusing to me. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what is Cable? Yeah, and somehow related to Deadpool. See, this just gets way too elaborate, but... But it's fun trying to figure it out, too. Yeah. Pop culture is cool. <laughs> I think it's more that comic books are the... Well, I guess pulp fiction is kind of the best way to put it. Kind of okay. the low culture of our age. The fact that people want to tell these stories and listen to these stories says that there's something deeper that people like listening to about superheroes and mm-hmm. about people who do extraordinary things with extraordinary powers, which is... You know, fascinating and interesting to us. Not because we necessarily want superpowers, <laughs> because that would be somewhat of a burden, but that these stories kind of appeal to the best parts of humanity, I find, rather mm-hmm. than the worst. Yeah. I think that's what a lot of people do. You know, a lot of people find interesting things in them, even in Batman, who is notably dark since the 1990s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When the Sci Fi Channel did their series with Stan Lee of Who Wants to Be a Superhero, which was an amazing show, actually. I think they were really silly to stop it, although I realize they also did not give what they really promised to the winners. It was really pathetic what they did for them, actually. (laughs) (laughs) The guy that won the first season of it said, Mr. Lee, I grew up without a father, and so when I read Spider-Man, when I read the X-Men, when I read your works, you kind of became my father in a way you know because there's so many things i learned through reading spider-man that i would not have learned because i didn't have a father to teach me the form of communication we find in stories has a way of teaching that some other things will never really do you know that's why a major part of so many ancient cultures was just verbally relaying stories is because they could teach in a way that other things and other parts of life just won't teach narrative is very powerful where it, it teaches us things that high art and literature do not. The literature of the masses is comic books, for right now, anyway. That's kind of the thing that people listen to and the, the thing that people look up to. I mean, that's why superhero movies continue to be successful, like, even a decade after they started, you know, yeah, doing it, mass market funds, you know, that sort of thing. High literature certainly has had an impact on comic books and it has had an impact on culture today even nerd culture but comic books definitely relay things than they do i mean you've got what do we have in high literature well we have a story about a guy on a ship who's obsessed with a white whale <laughs> who puts that obsession above his own health and the health of others as, as far as i know I, I could be wrong about that but i think that's how that goes that's you've a pretty got, succinct summary of a very long book yes you've got <laughs> this guy who depressing story of Frankenstein who 
creates this monster and, and he doesn't really mean for it to be a monster, but people get so scared of the poor guy. You know, that doesn't really offer a lot of hope. But then when you read comic books, you have, you know, Captain America, who doesn't want the attention, doesn't want the glory. He's just sick of, of bullies beating up other people. And he wants to take a stand. He doesn't care how many times he has to get punched before it stops. He will do whatever he can to stop it. And there's a, a certain sense of hope in this idea that someone is trying to take care of this issue. Someone wants to get in the trenches and deal with this. And, you know, what did Jesus say? Uh, he said, I come not for those who don't need a doctor. I come for those who need help. You know, and, and if you're willing to recognize that you need help, I am there. I'm going to dig in the trenches with you. I'm going to help you trudge through all of this. There, there's just an automatic connection right there. So what do you think about superheroes being religious, specifically? <laughs> How does that change the stories? Well, I think... Because I know the thing from the Fantastic Four is Jewish. Really? I think so. Well, that, that is strange, right? Because, yeah. like, oh, well, let's say Superman, right? An all-powerful, almost all-powerful being, right? At least from our perspective. Right. Can also be religious at the same time. That yeah. is a very strange thing. It is. I think, first of all, we need to be careful not to try and make assumptions about what religion a character might be. Because that's kind of, you know, one of the things that's come up lately is the Vatican trying to claim that the Hulk is Catholic. Simply for one reason. There's a storyline where Bruce Banner got married in a Catholic church, so he must be Catholic. And, you know what, that's not really up to us. That's up to Stan Lee to make that decision of is he religious or not. It's up to the guy who created the character. And I think that the idea of superheroes recognizing that they aren't perfect and that even they need help is a great thing to have. That's one of the things I like about Nightcrawler is he's a Christian. He, he recognizes that he need, you know, he, he can't do everything on his own. And I think for us, someone who is, who is so powerful, recognizing that even with all these powers, I still can't fulfill myself. I think that that is honorable and it's amazing to think about and i think it also points toward the idea that nothing in us will actually be the fulfillment of us you know when we connect with christ he comes and he fulfills us but it's not our own abilities that give us that fulfillment i think that definitely makes us realize oh even if we did have superpowers hey even then we would need help means okay so it's not so terrible for me to admit that i need help now if I would need it, whether I had superpowers or not. If they need help and they have all these powers, then why should it be a crutch for me to say I need help? I think you pretty much nailed it. I, I think also with some superheroes like Moon Knight is interesting because he has somewhat of a religious background in where he gets his powers. And it's almost like he's being sent on a mission. Although I love that one of the things I like about that character is he actually has four different personas. And I think that would be really interesting in a television show to see someone who's trying to juggle four different personas that he has to live out in different situations and to make sure he's acting out the right persona in the right situation. He connects with this religious experience and then because of that goes on this mission. And I think that's a major part of the Christian life is connecting with God and saying, okay, you're God, I'm not. You have these goes you want to accomplish in the world and i have a chance to be part of that hmm. how do you reconcile these ideas with the thought of let's say a being like galactus 
who is kind of this cosmic entity who's neither good nor evil, but just simply devours because he has to in order to survive? That is a really great question. <laughs> I, it just came to me because I was thinking about, well, these some of these superheroes are religious in some sense, but then there's also gigantic world-destroying powers that have existed before the current universe. So <laughs> how do those fit? And with that, the closest I can think of to that would be to look at, in the real world, we have... And there's a disconnect, because obviously Galactus has a certain intelligence and a certain sentience about him. Whereas, if we look at our world, we have these forces of nature in earthquakes and hurricanes that are so ridiculously ginormous. And they aren't sentient, they're not you know, able to hold a conversation with you, but they are forces of nature that do what they do because it's what they do. And to imagine a sentient version of that is a little bit mind-boggling, for one thing. Yeah, and we can't stop weather. <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. I don't know. The, the last time I thought about trying to stop an earthquake, I don't think it would have done very much. Um, <laughs> not as if we get a lot in Michigan. but Hey, um, you never know. <laughs> that's true. I mean, there are fault lines we don't know about, or at least there are fault lines in America that we don't talk about in school as much, because I know since I was in school, they've supposedly recognized a, a couple of other fault lines. But that, that is a hard question. You know, what do we do with this idea of Galactus and other things like him? I think that in the universe of Marvel, they would, just, they would have to, well, look at how he actually was defeated in the first storyline. In the first storyline, the Silver Surfer went to him, and instead of trying to actually beat him, he actually just reasoned with him as a punishment for, this is so weird, as a punishment for convincing him not to eat Earth, he gets banished to stay on Earth, which is just weird, but kind of cool. You know, in their universe, they just have to realize, you know what, in order for this to keep doing what it's doing, if it's a force of nature that has to do that, there has to be something up above that that has a certain amount of control that that does not have. Something created this, and they would have to, you know, obviously they have to learn how to deal with it, just like we have to learn how to deal with hurricanes and tornadoes. Yeah. And It's the same problem with a different symbolic layering on top. Yes. You know, the problem of natural evil. Why does God send hurricanes on people? Mm -hmm. And nobody has a really good answer. <laughs> this is true, yeah. We have a, a lot of ideas. We, you know, we're pretty sure they probably did not happen before the fall. But, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where it's hard to answer. Why does God allow nature to keep acting up like this? It is a hard question. And it's not something we should try to just throw a platitude at and... and you know, say, well, God's got it all under control. He does have it under control, but that doesn't make it feel easier for us. No. And it kind of, it forces us to trust him more. You know, we have to trust in God more because he can control these things that we cannot control. I, I think that's actually a great stopping point. <laughs> okay. God can control things that we can't control. Yeah. And I think that's where you've been going with nerd shaffle is that you started this ministry you following what you think god wants you to do and you kind of just leave the consequences to him yep yep exactly 
if you have any last words, please. <laughs> last words. Oh no, you have a sniper on me? No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> first of all, for those listening to this, search for Nerd Chip on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, I'd love to hear from you and to hear any questions you have. And you're also writing an article for Theology Gaming currently. That is yes. correct. Looking at the issues of lust being used in video games and what about how does that influence our attitudes? Yeah, how does that does that influence us in ways that we just don't need to be influenced that are not so healthy? Yeah, like in uh, cosplay at conventions and that sort of thing. Yeah, and the way we treat cosplayers, particularly. Yes. Let us hope for more collaborations in the future. <laughs> yeah, that would be excellent. Thank you for listening. This has been the Theology Gaming Podcast. If you like what you heard, go on iTunes, give us a five-star rating, tell us what you thought. If you want to give us any other kind of star rating, don't rate anything because it's not as good for us. <laughs> if you didn't like it, don't say anything. Please don't say anything. Or send an email to me angrily at zach at theologygaming.com. I'll be happy to answer you in a way that is not as angry as the email you sent. If you'd like to see more of Eric Anderson's stuff, as he said, you can find him on YouTube or you can find him on Nerdchapel at blogspot.com. Yes. I'm glad I got that right. <laughs> and I think you kind of know a lot about Theology Gaming already if you've gone far enough to listen to this podcast. So, <laughs> Eric Anderson, thank you very much for coming on the program and talking about some pretty interesting subjects. Thank you. All right. This is Zachary Oliver signing out. Bye-bye. Say bye. Bye Bye-bye.